uh, I felt something like literally snap in my head and I couldn't pull it back and it got worse and worse and worse to the point to where like it was, I mean, I could as embarrassed, I still get embarrassed just telling the story. I get, I get like four putt from like two feet from the hole. It was, it, it was brutal. I tried hypnosis. I tried writing drills. I tried therapy. I tried the long putter, the claw, like everything you could possibly do. And just got worse and worse and worse. I mean, I would be driving in a car next to, a, I'd see a golf course over there, you know, in my vision, I'd look over at a green. I, my chest would start restricting. I'd get anxiety. And it just got to the point, my last tournament I played, the first round I hit 18 greens in regulation. I think I shot like 84 or something. <laughs> People would not even, I lost all my friends. Like no one would go to dinner with me. No one would travel with me. And I totally get it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne. And hey, we all know that the Pro V1 and the Pro V1X are the number one ball on tour. They've been re-engineered from core to cover for more speed, precision, and consistency, of course. But if you want to be part of the next generation of the Titleist ball, I don't know when that's coming, but whenever it does, you can be a ball tester. You can be part of that. You can get those beautiful white boxes if you are a member of Team Titleist. It is super easy to join. Go to teamtitleist.com. Just put your name and email in there and you get access to Team Titleist events and goodies and prototype testing. I'm going to be at a Team Titleist event at Streamsong at the end of September, I believe, and pretty excited about that. And also, it's not one of those memberships that fills your inbox with a lot of junk. It's just, you know, interesting stuff about what's coming out and new gear that's being launched. So join Team Titleist today. You'll also notice that the Golfer's Journal doesn't blast our mailing list very often. We are quite judicious and thoughtful about when we contact you. But this podcast today is definitely one that's worth sending out some email about. Ben Garner is joining us. And if you haven't heard of him, well, you will soon, or you haven't gotten Golfer's Journal 21 yet, uh, because it's dropping right now, exciting times. And in that gorgeous, handsome, I'm looking at it right now. It's quite stunning to look at, uh, number 21. But in that issue, Charlie Warzel writes a brilliant profile of the former prodigy who was Tiger's childhood rival. And then he got to the point where in his life where he couldn't even look at a golf course without feeling ill, but comes out on top in the end, quite literally, on a hillside on the big island of Hawaii. It's a fascinating story. Tough gig for Charlie, having to go to Hawaii and hang out with Ben and his celebrity sports friends. But we're really excited to be getting into the 21 cycle of subjects and stories, and we're leading in strong with Ben Garner here. There are a lot more highlights to tell you about from 21. A few I'll mention. I was pretty excited to write the yardage book for this one and get a chance to talk about one of my favorite golf courses, top five for me in the whole world, and one of the best golf holes there at St. Enadoc down in Cornwall in southwest England, a really super special place. That's the yardage book feature. We have this awesome photo feature as well that I just love to look at on bunkers. I think it's it's really cool combined with some some really interesting language. And for me, Casey Bannon absolutely, our producer of this podcast, he absolutely kills it in 21 with a piece that he should be really proud of. I think we're we're all really proud of it. First because we got Cyprus to approve us coming out and writing a story about one of their caddies, uh Ray Sturbick a legend who actually for many a year lived on the golf course 
and still caddies there today. And Casey got to go out and spend a good amount of time with him. Um, it's just an incredibly cool story. So lots to love about 21. We could go on and on about it. But I do want to mention that there's also lots to love about your subscription to the Golfer's Journal. And if you're a premium member, you know that to be very true. It is that most wonderful time of the year. This month, our premium subscribers will get an email about making their selections of their annual gift. Now, if you're a regular member, we love you too. But if you want to bump up to premium, you can do so now and you'll get the gift as well. Upgrade, and I guarantee that the gift is worth well more than the cost of the upgrade. Plus, then there's all the other premium member benefits that you're going to get as well. So just just make it happen. You really, you can't afford not to. Thanks everyone for listening. And when 21 lands in your mailbox or wherever you get your mail, share it. Let us know what you think. Tag us. We love to get your feedback on social media or in the Broken Tea Society server. Thanks also to our sponsors from the pages of the Golfer's Journal, and they are Titleist, Link Soul, Footjoy, Oakley, Links and Kings, Scotty Cameron, and Charles Schwab. Now let's take it out to Hawaii, to the Big Island. Well, one of us in this conversation, at least, will be there to learn what it's like to tell your old friend Tiger Woods that you're doing wonderfully, that you're doing just great, right before you get in your broken down car that won't start as the number one player in the world looks on. You know, I've never done a podcast before. This is the uh, first go around here. Dude, you have lived such a fascinating life. I've just loved, uh, you know, the chance to read Charlie's piece and, you know, early on and and see it in the book. Um, It's just awesome. Have you read Charlie's piece? No, I'm just kind of looking through. I just read a couple of sentences and like Charlie's a great guy. I had a lot of fun with him over in Hawaii for four days. He, we, uh, really bonded and I think I interviewed him too. So we learned a lot about both of each other. It was a lot That's of fun. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like he had a lot, he got a lot out of it too. Um, you've had a fascinating golf life. There's things, you know, today's conversation, I just love to sort of pick up on some of the things that Charlie was honestly if we wrote your whole story it would be a book it would be a you know 300 pages its own story but i'm writing a book (laughs) you better be um it's called all the wrong moves um (laughs) i got 32 chapters done charlie alludes to a couple things that i want to pick up some threads on but and going back to no but going back to um that your junior golf days, you know, taking the game up, shooting par within, he says, within a couple years, you know, having yeah. years where you're winning like you're, you're winning like 80, 80% of the golf tournaments that you're, you're playing in, um, you know, as someone who was a decent junior golfer and, and wished I could have played like that or wished I could now, I'm just I just read that wondering, like, what was it like to be that freaking good, man? Uh, Well, it was one of those things that like, I never really thought much of it because there's so many good players around me. Like I was very fortunate to have, uh, older guys who took me under their wing. Um, and I practiced with them, played with them. There's a player um, named Steve Rungi who played at Ohio state. Um, and he was a very, uh, very, very good player. And when I was like 10, 11, 12, He'd always take me and I'd play and practice with him. And um, guys like that really helped me get better. And and even around, I had an older brother too, who was a good golfer. 
And um, in that time, and I'm sure, I mean, I don't really pay attention to the junior golf scene in Southern California more, but at that time, we had some amazing players. I mean, Tiger obviously was the best and incredible. We all know Tiger's story, but we had guys like Scott Richardson, Chris Tidlin, Young Dam, Ted O, um, and they were, you always had to be getting better. And I loved competing and I always played with older players. So like I was never intimidated by anybody my age. And I loved the challenge of golf. I loved going out and have the ability to go play and practice by myself. And I just loved competing. So I loved it. So I never really thought much of it. I always thought I had to perform at my best level to win and to compete. So I never really thought like I was one of the better players, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, you're because you were, you know, trying to play with older with older guys and yeah. But am- amongst your age group, you were kicking everybody's ass. Yeah, um, you know, like <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's fun to win, right? That's why you do it. You play to yeah. win, and um, we are all out there, and like I wanted to win. I wanted to shoot as low as I could shoot, and I wanted to win. And yeah. but the thing is, I loved, as I still do now, I love to be in the battle, and that's like, you know. I think people miss that these days. Like, you know, you win by competing and giving your best. And sometimes you get a trophy for first place and sometimes you finish second or third. And some of my uh, favorite memories are when I didn't win um, just because it was a great battle. And, uh, you know, so, but it was weird. Like you go out there and you win tournaments, you win tournaments, but the pressure starts building. I mean, you know, expectations start building. Everyone has an opinion. And like, you know, this was before social media in the world you know like i Mm -hmm. I always think like what would be like um you know like the 80s and 90s if you had all the media that you have now you know yeah like everyone knew tiger woods's name and you know no one even like like i remember we went to france together and you had reporters everywhere and you know to talk to tiger and uh there's no social media. It's just those who really loved golf. And it's kind of like a secret back then, which I kind of like too. Yeah. Well, and it's a, you know, in the story, it talks about, you know, you, you beat Tiger Woods from time to time. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I mean, what's the line of blind squirrel will find an acorn every once in a while, you know, like, <laughs> and, but you play, I mean, I've known to have the opportunity to grow up and play with Tiger and to have that experience and to have a handful of other guys like, you know, Jason Gore around and like Pat Perez played and all that stuff. And like to grow up with those guys and to compete and to play, we all knew Tiger was the best and he was super special. And to be part of that was like a really cool, like, you know, upbringing and like yeah. to travel the world and play golf. It was awesome. You know? you know, you mentioned, I can only imagine. And you mentioned going to France with Tiger Woods yeah. That was one of the stories in the sto- in in Charlie's story. I thought I want to hear more about that. Tiger Woods breaking a bed in France. What's going on there? Yeah, well, we you know at the same time, like you know, golf you know makes you mature. You grow up in an adult world, and like you got you know, so you're playing with adults, you're around adults all the time, but still, you're um, your kids, right? And uh, we're all hanging out in the hotel and just messing around and stuff like that. I think we broke two beds. Uh, just from like wrestling and being idiots. And I also, uh, I think Tiger and uh, Scott Richardson pants me in the pool too. So like that was kind of fun. 
That was an interesting experience. <laughs> what were you doing? You were, was this an AGGA thing in, in no, Paris? No, it, it, it was like, uh, you know, they took the top players from Southern California, and we went over and played like three national teams in France for like oh, three okay. weeks. And it was uh, super fun. And then like the AGGA kicked in, and we would go travel and play that. And like that was kind of at the beginning of the AGGA. I mean, AGGA right. now is crazy, you yeah. know. Uh, but – to be able to go do that, I look back on it and I'm just like, wow, I just feel, you know, super lucky to be able to have that experience. Oh was, my gosh. Yeah. It was awesome. Now, when you, you know, you, a lot of names, uh, Jason Corp, Paparez, you know, guys that you grew up playing with, you know, they're out there in the golf world today doing their thing. Um, you, if, if anyone reads the story or has read the story, um, you're in a really, really good place and uh and and have living an exceptional life is it hard to watch them though out there doing their thing you know whether you're caddying or whether you're watching them on tv do you even watch them on tv um what are, what are the emotions like you know at one time it was really hard because you know like that was you know my dream i felt like i should have been out there and i felt I had the game to be there and like you know things kind of went sideways for me and um there were some dark periods for me you know like trying to uh find your game and find your identity and, but I'm always happy for my friend's success. That's something like, you know, I've, you know, having my dad kind of ingrained in me and like to always kind of stand tall and be proud and happy for your friends. And I've always been happy for my friend's success. I just want to be out there, you know? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a tough thing when that's when golf is your entire identity you know, and your I, your self identity is based around what score you shoot, and that was kind of where I went, and that was that was a bad path to go on, where like you know, golf is ultimately just a game. You have good days and bad days, just like you have in life, right? So, um, but I'm super happy for them. I mean, uh, they've had great careers, and but you know what? I've had good I've had good things happen to me too. And they, they've had their challenges as well. Everyone has challenges in this life. You know, everyone has things they need to overcome. And uh, so I'm happy for them, but I would have loved to be able to tee up um, and walk inside the ropes on the tour. I still, it still hurts a little bit, still stings. Because with golf, other than other sports, like you could go out, like baseball, it's over, right? You know, you're not playing pickup baseball when you're 35 but, or 40 or 45, but you could go out and play golf drop a 65 on someone and then everyone's like oh my gosh why didn't you make the tour or you should go play and you know every there's hundreds of guys you know like that out there great college players great mini tour players it's you know when you see these guys who make a career on the pga tour they are really really good mm-hmm. yeah and so that's kind of it yeah well tell me if you don't mind getting into some of those you know where the path diverged and you mentioned some of those darker times you know the story talks about um the putting issues that you have um and and getting getting the yips and and finding your way out of that and i think maybe that that can inspire and sort of help some people that are having have certainly had their own problems uh with the flat stick or 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 if you had to give up the game or um you know walk us through that period in your life a little bit well the thing that's crazy about golf to be like really good you gotta be really good at every facet of the game right you know yeah. and uh i was always um 
mechanically, my golf swing was probably not the best, but I hit the ball really good. I had really good hands, and um, uh, I was always a really good ball striker. I'd hit, you know, 16, 17 greens around all the time. And, like, come, you know, after my injury in college and I tore an older ligament in my right elbow, I was out golf for, like, two years, and that ended my college career. And I, uh, I came back, and, like, you know, the putter, I just kind of struggled with the putter a little bit. And, and it struggled, it showed more because I hit my ball striking got really good again. So when you hit 16, 17 greens around, and you're shooting 70, 71, you feel like you're shooting 80, you know, and you're watching guys who hit eight or nine greens around shoot 67 on you and it starts wearing on you. And then you start, everyone you play with, they're like, well, if you're going to make putts and then you're grinding. And I started to grind on it. Like if I got up and hit a ball, jack the ball out bounce to the driver i don't go bang 100 drivers on the range afterwards you know but if i missed a couple four footers i'd be on the putting green all no night trying to force myself to make putts and just put so much pressure on it that eventually i was playing this tournament in phoenix and uh i felt something like literally snap in my head and i couldn't pull it back and it got worse and worse and worse to the point where like it was i mean i could as embarrassed, I still get embarrassed just telling the story. I get, I get like four putt from like two feet from the hole. It was, it, it was wow. brutal. I tried hypnosis. I tried writing drills. I tried therapy. I tried the long putter, the claw, like everything you could possibly do. And just got worse and worse and worse. I mean, I would be driving in a car next to, a, I'd see a golf course over there. And, you know, in my vision, I'd look over at, at a green. I, my chest would start restricting. I'd get anxiety. And it just got to the point, my last tournament I played, the first round I hit 18 greens in regulation. I think I shot like 84 or something. <laughs> People would not even, I lost all my friends. Like no one would go to dinner with me. No one would travel with me. And I totally get it. Who wants to be around that? It's like a disease. It's like a plague that no one wants to even be near, right? And like they would just turn their back and it's like brutal. Wow. And uh, the next day, you know, and you're just, and I'm like, I'm not a quitter. I'm like, I'm going to battle through this. And the next day, I was like on the 13th hole at this course. And I had probably about 20 or 25 footer. And uh, it was just a horrible day on the greens again. And I was putting with uh, 88.02. And I always loved that putter. And I, yeah, I still get kind of emotional talking about it. Like I pulled the putter back. I literally like chunked the putt from like 25. I mean, if you could drop, like drop kicking a driver, I literally drop kicked a putt and it rolled about eight feet. I was still away. And I got up and I seized over the putt so hard. And then finally I pulled it back. And I yanked it back and I hit my right toe, my shoe and like double hit the putt. And like, it was so uh -huh. embarrassing. Like tears, like crocodile tears just came down my face. And like, and I am quitting. I walked off the golf course. I'm like, it's done. I, I'm not even going to do this to people I'm playing with. It's not even fair to them. And I remember driving home the six hours from that tournament and uh, yeah, that was, that was a rough one. And I think I laid in my bed like a vampire depressed for like two weeks. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Like golf was like my identity. I can, I'm like, I can't even play golf for fun if you can't putt. And um, I remember playing in college with Noda Begay and Noda putt both ways. Yeah. Bullseye. And um, he put left hand and right hand so he could have the same breaking putt. And um, for whatever reason, that popped up in my head. 
and I drove up to Roger Dunn's golf discount store and like found this old bullseye in the barrel for like $10. And I started stroking the left hand and, and it felt a little awkward, but I had zero anxiety. I'm like, I'm going to give this a shot. And like three days later, something like that, uh, was the EOS Open local qualifier. And I, I'm like, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to just go give it a shot, see what it's like. I'm on the putting green, putting left-handed before I go tee off. And it feels kind of comfortable. And people came up. Oh, by the way, are you allowed to cuss on the podcast? So Absolutely. anyways, <laughs> so, so I'm on the putting green. A couple guys came up to me. I'm like, just get the fuck away from me. Don't talk to me right now. I just gave him the <laughs> hand. I'm like, don't talk to me. Just, I couldn't talk to anybody. And I got first hole, had like 10 footer, made it for birdie. Next hole, like a 12 footer, made it for birdie. And went on shot 68, won the uh, qualifier. I've been left-handed um, ever since. And that's been like 22 years left-handed. And every time I play, I, when I play with someone new, I hit the drive down the mill, shot on the green, get on the putt. And I know exactly what they're thinking when they see me uh, walk up to it left-handed. And I'm like, yeah. I got some issues. I put left. I hit right and I put left. But uh, that was like the greatest blessing in my life. And I don't know how the thought popped in my mind about Noda, but I'm glad it did because I guess still play the game of golf. I remember Noda Begay talking that, that he did that. That's really, yeah. that, that's amazing. And so by Noda doing that. Noda was a badass. He was a great player. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. People forget that. Now, by doing that, so that takes the pressure off you having to make every putt because you're putting left-handed. Yeah, what about, you're like, yeah, you're like, of course I might miss this. I'm putting left-handed, but I had zero anxiety. And I used to do that. Um, you know, I'd always have like a left-handed seven iron with me. So like mm -hmm. sometimes when I'd be swinging it right-handed and, and feel a little funky, I just go hit swing it left-handed, and all of a sudden you go back and your swing feels really good after swinging it left-handed. It just switches your brain, right? Yeah. And There's something grinding, in there grinding. about letting go of expectations, right? Or letting go of forced results or having to be somebody. And I think that's tied to that idea of you saying, talking about your identity and your identity yeah. being golf and having to be good at golf. Because if you're not good at golf, you don't know who you are. And that, that creates all sorts of shit in your head, right? Yeah. Um, you, you can't you know, do that. Yeah. Like I tell, you know, younger guys playing the game and I've, um, had the opportunity to play with a lot of great young players, a couple guys who made on the tour, and like, you know, and when they're younger, I'm like, don't worry about it if you shoot 74. It's just one round of golf. Like you're 14, right? All pros have off days, bad weeks. You know, it happens all the time. You can't live and die. Your identity can't be based on your round of golf. Like your identity can be based on your effort, right? If you go out there and you have a strong effort, you you prepared for the tournament, you worked hard to get there, you went out there. You had your game plan. You tried to execute, but you just had a bad day. We all have bad days. You know, golf, that's why we love golf. I mean, everyone, you know, the game beats everyone up at some point. And, uh, but it's how you handle it and how you move on. But if your identity is like, if you're like, I'm a good person, you know, I'm a good boy because I shot 67. And then you're like, I'm a loser because I shot 74. You can't live in that world. And unfortunately, I did. And it came crashing down because of that. And speaking of, not to dwell on your your bad days, but in the story, there is one that gets mentioned um, that I just love to talk to you about. This the story is structured as these four acts of your life, and and you know an opening act. You know, 
here's the hero. And then, you know, with traditional stories, the second and third. It's like Shakespeare. Exactly. <laughs> uh, in Shakespeare, it would be uh, the third act. Things would start to get kind of crazy. Anyway, um, but in the middle there, you, the hero goes through his struggles, right? So you're, one of your struggles, one of your moments, tell us about being in the parking lot with Tiger Woods and White Lightning. Oh, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was that was a low point on a couple levels. But like at that time, like, you know, I was playing and I was just, you know, I was playing good, but you know, like you're playing in many tours, you're not making money, right? And like I was uh my truck got repossessed. That was awesome. Um, so I bought this nineteen eighty-seven Chrysler Fifth Avenue that was like cream white with horrible kind of like reddish maroon fake leather on the inside off my friend's grandma because it was he was his grandfather's car and he passed away and i bought it for five hundred dollars six hundred dollars either five or six hundred dollars and i was you know caddying at big canyon country club in newport beach which was that's where i worked in high school and in the summertime in college so i never thought i'd that's where i'd be you know at that point in my life and it was a it was a kind of tough period, but like, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I got to do what I got to do. I got to put a little, um, change in my pocket. It gave me a place to play. And so I went in on this Saturday morning to go, uh, loop for the guys I normally did. And they didn't, they, for whatever reason they canceled and the, you know, the head K master knew me since I was like 13 years old. And he's like, Hey, tiger's down here. If you want, you know, come and say hi. And I'm like, all right, I'm here. I come down and I, I came walking down there and, you know, Tiger's up on the pine green. And I go up, I'm like, what's up, Tiger? And he's like, Hey Garner, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, and he goes, I'm like, you know, just down here looping how things are going. He goes, how are things going? I'm like, Dude, things are going great, man. I go, I only caddy here like once a week when I'm in town. It was all bullshit. Right. Which was kind of, I look back on it now and like, you know, if things aren't going good in your life, I learned a lesson. If things aren't going good in your life, just tell, say things aren't going good, but they're going to get better. Right. No need to, bullshit or lie to a friend i i still feel stupid about that but like for whatever reason that's what came out of my mouth because i was really just embarrassed about my situation and i'm like yeah my guys didn't show up i'm ready to like split he's like well i'm out of here too and we walked up to the parking lot together and from the playing green you have to walk up these stairs to the parking lot and we get up there and he's like he goes where are you parked i'm like over to the left and as soon as he said that i just knew I just knew that he was parked next. And he's like, what are you driving these days? And I'm like, that A7 piece of shit, A7 Chrysler Fifth Avenue. And there's like a badass Escalade like parked right next to mine. And I'm like, is that your Escalade? He's like, yeah. He's like, things are going good, hunger. I'm like, no, not so much. And we, I'm like, just mortified at this point. I get in my car and I'm trying. I'm like, I'm like just shaking in this interview. And I'm like, Again, I'm trying to turn the thing, turn the car on, and it won't turn over. And I'm like, just oh. fucking turn over, come on! And I finally, I slammed on the gas, and I turned over, and the car's like, vroom! <laughs> it was so. Entire looks down at me like laughing. It was so embarrassing. And I'm just like, oh my god, I cannot believe this is happening. And uh, as I drove away, like we kind of like, you know, seesawed a little bit going down the road, and until he went his way and I went my way. I just had, just started freaking crying. It was so embarrassing. And, uh, and the real embarrassment was the fact that I just lied, you know, and bullshit. I, if I just told Tiger, I'm like, hey, 
you know, things are go- kind of not going great. And I'm over here caddying, trying to make some extra bucks and uh, working on my game. Totally different, right? Totally different. But instead, I, you know, bullshit and lied to an old friend and looked like an idiot. And karma came around real quick on that one. Um, and then eventually, white lightning, you know, they told me I had to go p- park the car down at the Manius yard because members complained about my car in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, so that was a tough one. That was a tough one. But funny story. I mean, that, that's the thing about life, right? Like, right. I've learned to laugh at stuff, you know. In the moment, uh, it's kind of tough. But looking back on it, that was a, uh, it makes for a funny story. Ben, you have an awesome amount of perspective. I love talking to people who have, you've been through some stuff, right? Um, and you've been through some stuff. And you've, and you've come out and, and have this wonderful life in Hawaii today. Uh, helping golfers, selling, doing real estate, playing at Kukio, um, which is such, which is a sick place, by the way. Do you know little Blakey? Um, oh uh, yeah, that guy's yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. He he is um a big star. He's a great little player, good little kid. <laughs> I play. I got I got to play with him out there, and we had a we had a lot of fun. But yeah, but you've been through some stuff to get there. I mean, you've earned the 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 great life that you have today. Um. And I was thinking, you know, that perspective, Tiger seems to have a little bit of that perspective now, too. He's been through some stuff. Um, it came at a different time in his life uh, than it did in yours. But do you look at, you know, Tiger now and, and how do you, th- you know, whether it's the physical struggles or or he seems to have, have uh, he's in a different mental place too, a positive, really positive mental place now. Um, when you look at him, your, you know, your friend, um, what do you think? Well, you know. You find out who you are when everything comes crumbling down, right? You find out who your friends are, and you find out like what you're made of. Some of the greatest blessings in your life are your challenges. And at the time, you might not think that, you know. And uh, you know, Tiger, cha- no one changed a sport like Tiger Woods. Nobody, in my opinion. And uh, he um, was on top of the world, dominant. Like everyone in the world knew his name. Like. Uh, he's the greatest player in the game, in my opinion. And, uh, and then he had his challenges and his fall, you know, and like, and it was almost biblical in some ways, you know, and, uh, people saw a whole different side. He saw a whole different side of himself. And most people, you know, their challenges in life are, you know, in the shadows. Right. And his was right there in front of the whole world to see. And like, and he's battled back and he found out that, you know, he has friends that really love him, guys on tour that look up to him. And are, and I I can't speak for him, but from my perspective on it, I feel like he is in a better place. He, realize, he realizes that you don't have to be the killer all the time. Like you could, um, you go out there and compete, but you could be friends. And like, he has a lot of really good friends and guys that support him. I mean, and what's he's, what he's been able to come back and accomplish when he came back and won the Masters, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house across the country watching that. Like mm-hmm. uh, when he won and hugged his son. I mean, I know I had tears coming down my face and like, and he has some, re- I think he's in a great place. I mean, like obviously from a golf perspective, he wants to win and wishes he could win more. If he hadn't had the injuries, you know, I think he would surpass all Nicholas's records. And uh, just to watch him, like just here at St. Andrews, you know, last week, you know, it's just hard to believe that, you know, 
Tiger's 46 years old and turning 47, and, like, that might be his last walk at St. Andrews, you know, like, from a competitive standpoint. I mean, it's just weird to think the changing of the guard. It's tough, it's tough to watch that, like, um, but he was, you know, really emotional about it, and, you know, it's, I just, you look at anybody in life, whether it's Tiger or yourself, and it's, you find out who you are when everything's stacked against you. And I'm grateful for those moments because I'm a better person because of it. I mean, I'd rather be Ben Garner right now than, you know, an asshole Ben Garner. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, you know, like humility and empathy are a great thing. And you learn really that are. in your tough times. They really do. And, they, and you're a person, and now you're a person that <clears throat> I think attracts – really interesting people around you that want to be around you and the energy that you have. And, and they want to be around your golf game too. Uh, you mentioned Alex Smith and he's part of the story. Um, you really, you know, helped him through a tough time and with his own sports struggles. Um, I remember, I think when, when Charlie was out there, was Bo Hostler with you as well in Hawaii? No, Bo, Bo wasn't with me, but Bo's come out there with me in Hawaii. And like, I met Bo when he was eight years old, you know? And like, uh, <laughs> Of all the yeah, guys was, on tour, I thought you might hang with like Bo was like pretty low on the list. Yeah, How did that just, come about? Well, I put, you know, the golf club I grew up playing at. And before I moved to Hawaii, I was at Mission View Country Club. And it has a lot of history. Mark O'Meara grew up playing there. Um, uh, Cameron Tringali grew up playing there. Uh, Bo was playing there. And there, we've had a lot of... Um, all Americans and some tour players come out of that course. It's a great Robert Trent Jones senior golf course. Like, and I was out in the afternoon, I think it was probably like a Sunday afternoon. And, um, I, lots of times I go on the golf course by myself and just hit shots. And, um, that's how I, I always like to practice. And, um, you know, then you can really see if you're, how you're hitting it right on the, on the range, you're hitting it. But when you get on the quarters, you got to hit the exact shot. So that was mm -hmm. always something I'd like to do to practice. And, I was following this group and I was hitting shots and like uh, came the 18th hole, his shot in the green. I'm walking up, come on the green. And there's this kid hanging behind the back of the green. And when I was done, I put it in and walked off. And he comes walking down and he's like, he was like, who are you? And he goes, you were flagging it out there today. And I'm like, this little eight year old, right? And I'm like, well, I'm Ben Garner. He's like, well, I'm Bo Hostler. And I'm like, well, nice to meet you, Bo. And he's like, you want to go play a few holes? I'm like, sure. And his dad was there. And I'm like, uh, they said they lived near the golf course. So I said, drop him off. And we went out and played till dark. I drop him off at home. And then that's how my relationship started with Bo. And there's another great player, a guy named Taylor Wood, um, who was All-American USC, who was practicing out of Mission Hill Country Club at that time. And Taylor and me, like took kind of took Bo everywhere, everywhere with us. And, um, you could tell Bo was something special, even at a really young age. And it was kind of that same thing where like I had older guys take me under their wing and we kind of took him under our wing and like a couple other guys and Bo's Bo, he's a great player, you know, and he's going to win on tour someday, you know? And, uh, it's just kind of ironic how you meet all these people, you know, golf brings so many people together and, you know, one round of golf, you become a lifelong friend with somebody, or you're like, dude, that guy's a dick. I never want to play with him again. Yeah. But, <laughs> but majority of the time, 85, 90% of the time, you're like, lifelong friend. Absolutely. That's been my experience.
who in your circle surprises you the most that you're like, man, I, I hang out with this person. That's really crazy. You know, because of golf, it's just some of the connections and friendships you make just it's like, wow. Uh, yeah, that's really wild. I mean, you know, you, you, you look at stuff like, like, you know, probably like the most significant ones at one time, like, you know, the opportunity to meet like Kelly Slater and Rob Machado when I was 20 years old, when I was kind of like, came back from LSU and like, it was like my first time getting back out and playing golf again after my injury and, and randomly meeting them. And sometimes you just feel in life, like you meet people and you're meant to meet people. Right. Um, mm -hmm. There's n no way that just happened by chance. And to connect with them, they were great. They loved golf, you know, and like we connected and we played and we immediately became friends. And like that journey and that story with them and who I've met through them and then kind of who we, they've met through me and like they're both actually like i mean kelly's a phenomenal golfer rob's a really good golfer too he, he doesn't play that much anymore but i'm trying to get him back out on the course and you know you look at like guys like alex and you know i've got the opportunity to play with actors and like you know the top businessmen in the world and then you know and that's all great but like then you know you get to play golf with guys you know like uh, who's like the school teacher, you know, who's like loves the game and like gets out there and plays and you get golf. It brings so many, that little white ball does not care who you are. And it brings so many people together and that would never connect any other Avenue in life. Right. You know, you can have the billionaire playing with the golf bum, but if he's a really good player, everyone wants to play with a good player. And, uh, you get out there and you spend four or five hours with somebody, you get to know them, you know, you see how they handle, uh, good shots, bad shots. Can they laugh at themselves? They have good banter, you know, can they talk some shit on the course and, or can they take shit on the course? And like, uh, do they cheat? You know, like all these things, right. You, you learn in all one round and then like, uh, and then you get done, have a drink and like, next thing you know, you're exchanging numbers and your buddies. And that's what I love about the game. No doubt. And Charlie mentions in your story some of the billionaires or CEO, CEOs that um, that do wander in your orbit or have flown you places to play in whether, I don't know, what what's the deal? Matches or play at Cyprus? Like, what are, yeah. you get, you get some, you get to do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you meet people and, uh, you know, I'm kind of like one of those guys, I think for me, I like people, you know, like, I don't care who you are as long as you're a good person and we have something in common. And so, you know, like that translates to being friends with everyone. And I like to learn about people. And like, I've had the opportunity to become really good friends with guys who've been very successful in business, but like I'd be friends with them if they weren't successful in business because they play golf and we have fun playing golf together and they're good guys. And, mm -hmm. but you know, go, I, you know, I did get to go out and play and, uh, five rounds in a little tournament at Cypress point, And that was pretty darn special. I mean, like growing up, my dad took me and my brothers to uh, Pebble beach area when I was 10 years old for the first time. And he wanted us to see something special and be around that area. And um, ever since then, that's been like my favorite place on the planet. Right. And uh, going up there, I go and caddy for Kelly and the AT&T and we play Cypress and, you know, playing the stay amateur up there a few times. And like, it's just such a special place. And, uh, but to walk the fairways of Cypress point and to do that, 
you know, I'm a big history buff too. So you're like walking through, you're walking through time. You see ghosts everywhere. You think of all the great players that have played there like over the years. And like, you just feel very, very lucky just to be there. And I love the golf course. You go through the pines then down to the sand dunes and out in the ocean, you come back to the clubhouse and they got good, you know, tuna melt sandwich there too. If you ever have the opportunity. <laughs> Indeed. Check it out. And nice cookies and good cookies. Good cookies. (laughs) Ben, you mentioned, um, you mentioned your dad is, uh, who was part of the Charlie story as well. And, um, is your dad still alive? Yeah. I just saw him, uh, last week. My dad's not doing too good right now. He's 82 years old. He's suffered the last 30 years from, um, macular degeneration. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. He can't, he can't really see that good anymore. So he can't, he hasn't really played golf for like six years, but like he's still fighting, fighting the good fight, you know? Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, my mom is, has it as well. It's not, it sucks. And, um, but I, I'm, I'm, I did want to ask about, you know, uh, your relationship now, um, because in the story, uh, you know, there talks about as a, as a young person chasing, you know, next level golf, um, and the pressures that you feel, um, from, from all different places, but including, you know, from your dad. And maybe that was something that you and Tiger had in common is, you know, dads that were, you know, um, pushing you to, to, to be better. And, uh, how's your relationship, uh, now? My relationship, my dad's good. You know, like it got out of control. Um, to be honest with you, like it got to the point to like, you know, uh, you start playing golf, you know, your dad introduces you to the game. You go out like, and you know, like everything I have today in my life is because of the opportunities my dad and sacrifices he gave for me. Right. But then all of a sudden you start having this success and, you know, I think it went to my, into my dad's head a little bit and, you know, and like, uh, you know, you're going around the country, Southern California, you know, uh, your own country club and like, you end up becoming kind of like this weird little mini celebrity in a golf world as a kid. And, um, then you, everyone has an opinion and it got to the point where like, uh, you know, my dad would like yell at me a lot if I did, you know, for not winning or not by winning enough. And it just got out of control and like, you kind of like lose your nerves a little bit. And, uh, I mean, I love my dad and, but, you know, sometimes he kind of lost perspective and, you know, and I, and I, you know, then it caused me to probably make poor decisions too. And like, you know, golf is tough enough. Life is tough enough. You know, like you go out there and you're trying to shoot as low as you could go. You shouldn't have to worry about like whether your, your, your dad, you know, like I kind of felt like the love of my dad was condition conditional based upon how I played and if I won. And that's, not a good place to be yeah no doubt um and uh i imagine though now the uh your relationship is uh hopefully different today um yeah it is i mean i'm you know you know like i i'm a type of person i try not to dwell on things you know it was intense and it was tough Um, but like, ultimately I'm the one that swings a golf club. I'm the one that makes the putts or doesn't make the putts. And, you know, 
as crazy as it sounds, you know, like the stuff wasn't good, but you know, I had a lot of dads, friends that had dads that never even gave a shit about anything that they did. So it's like, I don't know. It's just, you know, like I look at, if I ever have kids, you know, uh, and my kids were, you know, into a sport or whatever they're doing, you know, the focus would be on, you know, commitment and attitude, right? Because, uh, and not to quit. You can't be a quitter in life. You're going to have challenges all the time. You can't quit. Um, but you can work hard and you can do your best. And like, if you work hard, you do your best, you're going to have good days and you have bad days. You just can't live going, oh my gosh, I shot, you know, 68, 67 day. Things are great at the house. I shoot 74 or 75 in an off day. I'm scared to go home. That's not good. That's not good. No, no, it's not. Um, and we, we worked through it and we've talked and all that, but like, you know, I, it's, you know, you have all these experiences you go back on and like, you know, you're in the heat of the battle of life, but like parents who live through their kids, it's it never really ends up well. Uh, and you know, I always just want my dad to just be, uh, my biggest fan because I was his biggest fan. I loved my dad. Still yeah. do. Now, yeah, you talk about all these things, these challenges and, and all these things. They make you who you are today. They've all brought you to where you are today. And speaking of where you are today, um, living in a beautiful, probably the most beautiful place in the world. Um, living in a, is it right? You got like an Airstream setup. I'm, I'm kind yeah. of imagining you up there in the hills, like around Nenea, like the Eagle's Nest, of, baby. Yeah, yeah. the Eagle's Nest. Um, just sounds absolutely idyllic. Uh, playing a lot of golf, selling real estate. I, 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 I have a hard time picturing you. I want to, like, I'm kind of interested in the Hawaiian real estate agent. Um, right. I, I, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm just like, uh, I mean, I can't imagine getting buttoned up and sort of doing deals. I, I, how, what's your, what's your business style like? Well, my business style is, you know, like I got very lucky, um, getting hired, you know, by Mike Melman with discovery land company. And like, he built unbelievable, uh, golf community, private luxury communities around the world. And like the opportunity to go there. I mean, you know, Kelly and Rob first introduced me to, um, Kukio years ago and I'd go out with Rob and like, uh, I was like, what is this place? It's like the greatest place ever. I mean, I, I remember we went there one year, we surfed out front. There's a left point break out front. We surfed, we came in, we went to the spa, went, went out, had this amazing breakfast, went up and played the golf course. And I'm like, this is incredible. Yeah. And, uh, never thought in my wildest dreams, I'd be there working. Right. And, uh, and you know, I'm not really a sales guy. Like, I, I'm a relationship guy and Kukio um, sells itself. It's an unbelievable development. We have an unbelievable membership, just tons of great people, everyone who loves Hawaii and they're coming there to be relaxed and, and hang out in Hawaii. And that's kind of my vibe. Like I'm not a suit type of guy. I don't like suits. And like, so <laughs> my get up is I wear sandals, shorts, you know, an untucked golf shirt or an untucked Aloha shirt. And I kind of just cruise around and show people what the lifestyle is about. I've sold a lot of real estate after getting 
out of the water from a morning surf and with sand on my feet and hopping in the golf cart and driving people around the community. And uh, so, you know, I take people golfing, take people out in the water, surfing, uh, paddling, take them drinking. They want to go drinking and, um, and just show them a good time. You know, like that's, people are there to have a good time. You don't need to sell anybody on Kukio. If it's the right timing for them, they'll do it. If it timings in the future, I mean, I've worked with people for five years before they bought and then they finally buy and they're like, Garner, why didn't you have me buy like five years ago? I'm like, I was trying my man. I was trying, I was hitting you up like every month, you know? And like, but it's a soft sell, you know, it's an amazing place. Everyone feels blessed there. And, you know, I can say this 100% the truth that Kukio has changed my life for the better and has changed every member's life for the better. And it's I feel very, very fortunate. It's a very cool place. And yes, those rest stations are worth the visit uh, alone. Um, yeah. And then you have like Nenea, like you mentioned, Nenea is an unbelievably special spot. Pretty sick you know? spot too. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful part of Hawaii. And So the um, Eagle's Nest looks down over that. Oh, the best. So, yeah. uh, you know, one of the themes in Charlie's story is being at peace. And so I'm thinking of you doing deals in your flip-flops, living in the Eagle's Nest, playing golf. Um, you know, you've, you seem to me like a person at peace. And, um, you know, when we get, there's a lot of those names that we mentioned earlier, uh, playing a sport that is, uh, it seems to me not at peace at the moment. Uh, pretty crazy, pretty crazy times in golf. And, uh, I don't know. I think if a lot of people would trade places with you, uh, Ben in the Eagle's nest, I think you're, you, you've got it sorted yeah, out. It, it's, you know, a lot of good sunsets on the deck of the Eagle's nest, you know, and, uh, you know, some beautiful starry nights. But like the thing is, I think, I mean, you know, I still have my demons, you know, like and your challenges, but it's perspective, you know, like I've learned to really just be grateful, you know, grateful for what I got and be grateful for the friendships I have in my life and to, and to enjoy the moment. And in this day and age with technology and everything going around and like, you know, you, you sit there, everyone's on their phone and to, to, that's what I like about the Eagles. There's no cell reception there. So like you just sit there and you're like, there's no distractions. And, you know, I've really found that uh, gratitude um, really gives you peace. You know, I don't, I don't compare myself to other people. I just want to try to be the best version of me. Ben, couldn't say it any better, man. I can't thank you enough for the time and for sharing your story with the Golfer's Journal. Uh, you're one of the most interesting people we've had the chance to, you know, feature in the magazine or on the pod. So I hope we get the chance to tee it up sometime, man. Come to Hawaii. <laughs> Don't twist my arm. Hey, best time is like January, February, March. You're invited. Come I'm on in. out. I'm coming to the Eagles Nest.